Welcome to the Bulgarian History Podcast, Episode 104, Looking Back on Ottoman Decline, Part 1. First, I'd like to thank Scott Farmer for his donation and really wish everyone a happy holidays from Snowy Sophia. All right, then let's get into it. Now, at the beginning of this season, we started off in the 1550s with the fighting between the sons of Suleiman to succeed him. This triggered a civil war when succession was based on sons being granted governorships and the one closest to the capital would be the first to arrive and thus the first to be crowned. A far cry back when the sultans obtained governing experience and could command the empire. Still, this didn't stop sultans like Selim I from allowing their viziers to run the empire for them, a prelude for what was to come. Meanwhile, the kingdom of Hungary, recently devastated by Suleiman, was fighting with the Habsburgs, whose empire also claimed their throne. In this three-way fight between the Habsburgs, Ottomans, and Hungarians for control of Hungary, the Ottomans were initially satisfied with having their rule of Wallachia, Moldavia, and Transylvania recognized. Then, in 1568, we saw the first Russo-Ottoman War as the young Russian state expanded south towards Ottoman domains. The Ottoman desire to further their economic ties with the steppe lands led them to mount an invasion along with the Crimean Tatars. The result was a disaster in which long supply lines and winter temperatures led to high losses by the Ottoman armies. The war didn't ultimately have much of an effect, but it did show how these two empires were gradually expanding into each other's spheres, undoubtedly leading to more violence and war. In the meantime, the Hungarian king was still moving between an Ottoman and Habsburg vassal, ultimately leading to his death without an heir and the title going to the emperor of the Habsburgs, but that emperor was unable to exert his claim. The Ottomans took this moment to turn to the last non-Ottoman island in the eastern Mediterranean, Cyprus, and its Venetian owners. War broke out with the Ottomans, and Cyprus fell within a year, and it put Venice into an alliance to fight the Ottomans, and the result was a major Ottoman naval defeat at Lepanto. The Ottomans quickly rebuilt their ships, but the loss of experienced sailors crippled their naval efforts. Within a few years, the war ended and Venice lost Cyprus. Around this time, the Ottomans also completed their control of North Africa. But at this moment, Ottoman attention turned east as an offer from the Uzbeks to attack the weakened Safavids came in. This war began in 1578 initially seeing substantial gains before having those gains largely reversed. But six years later, the Ottomans came out on top and annexed Georgia, Azerbaijan, and Dagestan, destabilizing Safavid Persia in the process. But a few years later, the war resumed, before ultimately ending in 1590 with even more Ottoman gains in Iraq. But this result also created lasting animosity towards the Ottomans on the part of the Safavid Persians. Over these decades in Wallachia and Moldavia, the people were burdened with ever greater taxes as the Ottomans demanded more money from their rulers. 
In Croatia, despite no formal war between the Ottomans and the Habsburgs, there was increasingly fierce fighting around the border, showing the weakness of the Sultan and his inability to restrain local rulers. Soon, an Ottoman defeat here triggered the so-called Long Turkish War in 1594. Now at this moment, silver imports from the New World had caused massive inflation, leading state officials to turn to bribery and abusive tax collecting to supplement their salaries. All the while, money from new conquests dried up, leading to unrest among the Janissaries. In addition, the empire was transitioning from the Timar system, which saw land as the greatest wealth in the country, and collected taxes as crops. But as Europe purchased raw materials for its increasing industry from the Ottomans, prices rose, resulting in wealthier landowners and impoverished peasants. These changes also meant that the landowners were increasingly paying the state instead of providing soldiers that they were obliged to, resulting in fewer and lower quality soldiers, while the state increasingly turned to abusive tax farming to fill its coffers. The resulting dissatisfaction among the empire's Christian population led to revolts accompanying the beginning of the Long Turkish War. The rebels asked for support from Transylvania and the Habsburgs, but little support came and this uprising was soon crushed, resulting in brutal reprisals against the local population. By that point, the Ottomans were doing well in the war, but then the Sultan died, causing a brief period of uncertainty. In the meantime, a new Holy League was formed, which importantly included Wallachia, Moldavia, and Transylvania. But Poland was fighting the Cossacks, and therefore was actually pro-Ottoman at this point, leading to them betraying the efforts by the Ottoman vassals. The result was the Crimean Tatars raiding their lands, although the Wallachians did manage some devastating raids into Ottoman territory. As the Ottomans counterattacked, Poland invaded Moldavia to overthrow a ruler there who they didn't care for. The Ottomans were unhappy with this and attacked Poland, and, well, it didn't go well, and the Ottomans ultimately agreed to have Moldavia as a joint vassal between the Ottoman Empire and Poland. Meanwhile, as the Ottomans and Habsburgs fought in Hungary, another Ottoman army invaded Wallachia. They were defeated by a far smaller Wallachian force, but that changed little as they still ultimately conquered the territory. But they were, by the end of things, defeated with the help of the Habsburgs and Transylvanian reinforcements. Meanwhile, an uprising against the Ottomans broke out in Herzegovina, Montenegro, and parts of Albania and Macedonia. Now, at this point, a massive Ottoman army set out to challenge the Austrians, ultimately winning a Pyrrhic victory which saw massive losses on both sides. All of these rebels, plus those in Serbia, asked for help from the Pope and the Habsburgs, but no help came and the rebellions were brutally put down one by one. But during this time, the leader of Wallachia, Michael the Brave, had been mustering his strength while the Ottomans faced setbacks in Hungary and a rebellion in Anatolia. At this moment, Michael crossed the Danube and the first Turnival uprising began in Bulgaria. But the revolt was almost immediately crushed, as Michael was too busy laying siege to Nicopolis to help, resulting in harsh reprisals and thousands of refugees. Around this time, a new man under Polish influence took over Transylvania and aimed to unite it with Wallachia and Moldavia. 
Suddenly, Michael of Wallachia made peace with the Ottomans and swore allegiance to this new ruler. But then, upset about growing Polish influence, the Habsburgs convinced Michael to turn on the ruler of Transylvania and invade. Michael quickly conquered Transylvania, though now as a Habsburg vassal. But that relationship pretty quickly broke down, and Michael turned his attention towards conquering Moldavia. He offered to become a Polish vassal in exchange for the Moldavian crown, but he was refused and invaded Moldavia instead. Moldavia fell quickly as Michael the Brave found himself ruling all three principalities. But the Ottomans, Poles, and Hungarians of Transylvania were all very unhappy about his newly acquired power, leading to a Hungarian uprising against him. Michael was defeated by an Austro-Hungarian force in Transylvania, then the Poles quickly conquered Moldavia, and Michael was forced to flee to the Austrians. Then, another Greek revolt broke out against the Ottomans, while Michael got Austrian backing to actually go retake his territories. The result was that the principality siding against him and the Austrians with the Ottomans. Then, after a successful battle, the Austrians decided to assassinate Michael the Brave, ending his attempts to reunite, or really unite, the principalities. After this war dragged on for years more, the Sultan died, leaving the empire in control of a 13-year-old. Now, at this point, the fighting between the Ottomans and their vassal states died down, as neither side really had the strength to make much progress in the war. But off in the east, the Safavids were still angry after losing so much land to the Ottomans 13 years previously. So, they invaded and took substantial territory before, almost two years later, the Ottomans finally responded by sending their own force. But that army arrived too late to really challenge the Safavids, and so it was forced to simply spend the winter out east. But at this time, the fighting in Europe flared up again when a Hungarian noble got Ottoman support to rise up against the Habsburgs. The rising began in Transylvania, and ultimately the rebel leader was able to secure a position as prince there. Back east, the Safavids inflicted a terrible defeat on the Ottomans. In light of this defeat, the Ottomans sought a peace which ended the Long Turkish War. The war had been a defeat for the Ottomans as they had failed to make any gains territorially and had lost substantial influence in Moldavia, Wallachia, and Transylvania although the treaty that resulted did end raids and more or less stabilize the border with the Habsburgs. However, soon after, the rebel leader who became Prince of Transylvania died and fighting began to take over his crown. The man who ultimately won that crown attempted to work with the Ottomans to unite the Hungarian and Transylvanian crowns against the Habsburgs. But, he didn't get the expected support from Wallachia and Moldavia, and so he invaded them instead. The Ottomans were furious and ordered him to stop. Ultimately, it was an invasion by a joint Habsburg-Wallachian army, which put a rest to it. Now, at this point, the Ottomans essentially had to back this guy, and, well, at least just to keep the Habsburgs out of Transylvania. They won, but... When the Transylvanian prince got to go back on the attack with the Habsburgs, he, well, said, okay, let's go and invade them, and the Ottomans said no. They wanted to keep the Habsburgs out of Transylvania, but not to start a new war. Even the Ottomans actually wanted to replace the guy at this point, and meanwhile, Moldavia, which you'll remember was both a Polish and an Ottoman vassal, 
went to war with Poland with Ottoman backing and won, though not much changed as a result. Meanwhile, the Wallachians and Tatars invaded Transylvania to overthrow that absurd prince who was getting on everyone's nerves, who was hunted down and killed. Now, during these years, the war with the Safavids was ongoing, and the Ottomans killed tens of thousands as they put down revolts in eastern Anatolia. Then, the Safavid Shah died and peace was finally made. The Ottomans gave up all their gains of the previous war, and the border returned to where it was in 1555. Three years later, the Ottomans went back to war, determined to regain their territories in the east. At the same time, the Ottomans briefly went to war with Poland and got them to agree to give up their influence in the Ottoman-controlled principalities. The first two years of the war against the Safavids saw little progress for the Ottomans. Then, the young sultan died of typhus and was replaced by his mentally unstable brother, who then was soon replaced by the dead sultan's young son. The new regime sent a huge army deep into Safavid territory in a gambit to win the war. It was ambushed and destroyed, but soon another army was sent and the Safavids sued for peace, leading to little more than a some slight kind of border adjustments. It was clear that neither side was really able to inflict a major blow against the other. But over in Europe, the bloody Thirty Years' War between Catholics and Protestants across the continent was just beginning. The Ottoman vassal running Transylvania invaded Habsburg territory but failed to take Vienna. Transylvania annexed some Hungarian territory in a peace deal, but the prince declared himself king of Hungary shortly afterwards, and this basically restarted the war. Now at this time, Poland convinced Moldavia to ally with them to fight the Ottomans, but neither side was really prepared, and the Ottomans managed to quickly oust the hostile leader of Moldavia and end the whole thing. When the Poles did attack, their army was devastated. Now the next year, another huge Ottoman army moved north and ended up laying siege to a well-defended Polish army, and the inconclusive fighting led to an end of the war with no territorial changes. But the Poles were further prevented from having any influence in Moldavia. Now, angry at how the Janissaries had performed in this war, the Sultan then tried to suppress them, only to have them rise up and, well, kill him with the mentally unstable uncle then returned to the throne. Soon, though, anti-Janissary forces in Anatolia rose up in what we call the Abaza Rebellion. In Europe, the Transylvanian prince was forced to give up his claim to the Hungarian throne and make peace with the Habsburgs, though he continued to fight in the Thirty Years' War. Now, the Abaza Rebellion slowly gained in strength and actually overthrew the sultan, putting a half-brother on the throne and triggering another Safavid invasion. Within months, the Safavids had taken Baghdad and massacred its population. Over the next two years, they conquered Iraq as the Ottomans focused on putting down the Abaza rebellion. Within four years, the Ottomans were desperate enough to make peace with the Abaza rebels just so they could get their help against the Safavids. At that point, years of inaction later, and, well, another ineffective Ottoman offensive in Iraq led to nowhere. All of this instability and all these failures were really just too much for the Sultan, who resolved to curb the influence of the Janissaries once and for all, first by banning their coffee houses, as well as banning alcohol and tobacco. He was determined to right the empire's morals and get it back on track. Meanwhile, 
a Russo-Polish war enticed some Ottoman commanders to attack Poland, possibly without the Sultan's knowledge. Soon, whether he liked it or not, the Sultan was actually embroiled in a war with Poland alongside the ongoing Safavid War. Then, an uprising in Georgia brought about the chance to beat the Safavids there, while Tatar allies were, rather stupidly, attacking Russia. The Poles had paid them to, so this kind of brought the uh, Ottomans against both sides of the same war, fighting both the Russians and the Poles as they fought each other. But then, soon, the Russians sued for peace, allowing the Poles to turn and focus entirely on the Ottomans. The Sultan responded by hanging the man who had started the war and making peace, returning the situation with Poland to basically the status quo antebellum. The Sultan was now able to turn and focus on the Safavids, leading the army personally and making pretty good gains, only to see them reversed the next year. Now at this point, the war settled into a kind of a quiet stalemate. Back in Europe, the Thirty Years' War was raging on, larger than ever, while Wallachia and Moldavia began to attack each other, with the Ottomans too weak to really step in and do much about it. The Sultan then marched east again, intent on retaking Baghdad. The city was brutally conquered, and the Safavids agreed to peace, returning the borders to where they were in 1555, and essentially where they stand today. Now the Sultan, at this point, was young, eager, and ready to turn his attention towards a war-ravaged Europe. But instead he died and was replaced by his mentally unstable brother. So, instead of taking on Europe, the new sultan let his viziers run things and renewed peace with the Habsburgs. Despite his handicaps, though, the new sultan actually did improve Ottoman governance to some extent. However, just four years into his reign, his mother and his grand vizier conspired and killed him. Now at this time, fighting between the Ottomans and the Venetians led the Ottomans to decide that it was time to finally conquer Crete. They landed an army and made some quick gains before things devolved into a stalemate. Meanwhile, the Venetians blockaded Constantinople, leading to riots there. Soon, there was yet more Janissary unrest, and a corrupt Grand Vizier was literally torn to pieces by a mob. Soon the Sultan himself was imprisoned by them. At this point, the Sultan was strangled to death, partly by his own mother's orders, and his six-year-old son was placed on the throne. Now, just at that moment, the Peace of Westphalia ended the Thirty Years' War. The map of Europe was redrawn, 50-80% to 80 of all German men had been killed, and the Holy Roman Empire was now weaker and more decentralized. Then, a rebellion by Ukrainian Cossacks saw them obtain independence from the Polish-Lithuanian Commonwealth with Tatar assistance. With this new geopolitical situation, a low-key ongoing fighting between Moldavia and Wallachia escalated, when Moldavia allied with the Cossacks against them, prompting them to ally with Poland. This resulted in an invasion of Wallachia and a battle in which the invading army was utterly destroyed. Wallachia then invaded and conquered Moldavia, overthrowing its leader and installing another one. All the while, the Ottomans were too distracted by the ongoing war with Crete to do very much. Now the Cossacks reacted to this loss by becoming Russian vassals, beginning a long relationship with the Russian Empire. At this moment, the, the Polish-Lithuanian Commonwealth faced a decade that was called the Deluge, in which Sweden, Russia, and the Cossacks all whittled away at its population, land, and power, 
while setting the stage for its ultimate destruction. Back in the Cretan War, the blockade was briefly loosened, but came right back and the Ottomans were in general facing a lot of pressure, as they failed to make any gains. There was an attempt to overthrow the Sultan, but it was foiled. In this desperate position, an 80-year-old retired Janissary named Koprulu Mehmed Pasha was given near-dictatorial powers. It wasn't easy. He sent the Sultan off to Edirne while he faced the war in Crete, a Sepahi uprising, which he brutally put down, and Transylvania trying to essentially declare independence from the Ottomans. Then, the same Pasha who had led the Abaza uprising did it again. An army that was supposed to strike Transylvania rebelled against Koprulu. And the vizier, for his part, had been successfully fighting in Transylvania, but had to divert a lot of resources to deal with the uprising. Within a year, though, Abaza's forces were defeated, and he was killed. In Transylvania, though, the rebellious prince was killed, and the territory was put back under Ottoman control. Now, it was at this moment that the old man Koprulu finally died at 86 years old. The empire was still mired in the Cretan War that was really going nowhere fast, facing corruption and rebellion at home, as well as a potentially dangerous new European geopolitical map. Koprulu's son was appointed as the new Grand Vizier and, well, things moved on. In 1663, despite the blockade of Constantinople and the failure to make any real gains in Crete, the Ottomans and Austrians went to war over influence in Transylvania, Hungary, and the borderlands around Croatia. The Ottomans invaded with a massive army, which the Austrians could barely meet. The Ottomans advanced towards Vienna as three tiny Austrian armies tried to stop them. Then, a surprise Ottoman victory pushed the Ottomans back and ended that year's campaign. Now, the Austrians were more interested in fighting France at this point, so they actually made a quick peace which affirmed Ottoman control of Transylvania. The Ottomans then were able to turn their attention back to Crete, though they were unable to make very much progress there. Several years later, the capital of Crete was finally taken after a brutal 21-year siege. This effectively ended the war, and the Ottomans were finally able to annex the island. Now, the Cossack state, which had recently become an Ottoman vassal, was soon embroiled in a war with the Poles alongside the Tatars. The Ottomans agreed to help and sent an army, pushing it and the Poles to make a quick peace. Except that the parliament of the Polish-Lithuanian Commonwealth refused to ratify the peace, and so the war resumed yet again. Now, by this point, the Poles had prepared more for the whole fight, and so their army actually won some battles, advancing into Moldavia and convincing it to switch sides. The Poles had some setbacks, but ultimately a new peace was negotiated, which gave the Ottomans tribute and territory, but, well, less than they would have gotten in the previous peace agreement. And yet, once again, the Poles refused to ratify the peace. And by this point, Russia was angry at Ottoman expansion in the area, and so they entered the war against the Ottomans. The Ottomans made some gains in Ukraine, but the war quickly devolved into a stalemate. Finally, peace was agreed and a new border was established. But just at this moment, angry Protestant nobles in Hungarian and Croatian territories under the Habsburgs were looking for Ottoman support, furious at their treatment by the Habsburgs in the post-Westphalian kind of Europe. 
And well, that's where I'm going to end this first half of the season recap. It's now 1681, and next time we'll start with the Ottoman attack on Vienna and recap the rest of the season all the way through 1807 before picking back up with the regular narrative and moving on to the National Revival period in the 19th century. So, look forward to that in 2020. Now, this episode was written and produced by me, Eric Halsey. The theme music was written and performed by Teddy Raven. Check out the Bulgarian language version of the podcast and all the maps and information for all the episodes at vghistorypodcast.com.